This episode of Armchair Explorer is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And epic journeys is what we're all about. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Hey guys, welcome to the Armchair Explorer, where the world's greatest adventurers tell their best story from the road. My name's Aaron Miller, I'm a travel writer, and this show is all about immersing you in adventure and the amazingness of this planet. Are you ready? Yeah, me too. Let's go. Drew Binsky is a filmmaker, a world traveler, and just an awesome and inspiring guy to hang out with. He has more than one billion video views. One billion. If each one of those views was a dollar bill, and it very well might be, and you laid them out end to end, it would cover, get this, the entire circumference of the earth four times. (laughs) That's how many views he's got. He's a superstar in the YouTube field. He's got millions of followers on Facebook, Instagram, and all the rest. And that is because he makes really good stuff. He makes fun, snappy, short travel videos that are informative, they're entertaining. But what I really love about them is they're all about connecting with locals. They're all about seeing places through new eyes, seeing them like a proper traveler, breaking stereotypes and connecting with people in a really authentic way. He's also one of the very few people that has been to every single country on earth. Well, almost. He would have, he was supposed to, but coronavirus grounded his plans like it did so many of us, just as he was about to head out and visit his last six. But 191, right? That's not bad. 191 out of 197 possible countries, and he will get there soon. And when he does, he's also going to have a feature-length documentary come out called Border 197, all about his journey and what he's learned along the way which is a lot and it's very cool and we're going to hear all about it very soon so if you want to connect with drew he's on at drew binsky that is d-r-e-w-b-i-n-s-k-y drew binsky across well pretty much everything but here's the thing going to every country in the world has one big hurdle you can't miss any out no matter how dangerous they might be even if it's a war zone So that's the story that Drew's going to tell us today. But it's not at all what you think, because those dangerous, evil countries the media likes telling us all about, when you get down to it, the people there are just like you and me. And that's what this story is all about. But first, and very quickly, remember, if you like the show, please help support it by subscribing so you never miss an episode. Please help spread the word. Tell a friend, a fellow explorer, leave a review if you can, and share it on social media. This show is all about celebrating the amazingness of this planet. It's about positivity and connection and adventure and exploration and living life to the full. If that sounds like you, you're in the right place. We're going to get on well. Come and hang out. And when you help this show reach more people, you help that message grow. You can also check out background to each episode along with other good stuff at the website armchair-explorer.com. And if you like what you hear and you want to make that next big dream trip come true, 
get in touch, drop me a line. I've been a travel writer for more than 10 years, writing about adventure and exploration. I've got lots of great ideas and I love helping people plan and make that dream big adventure come true. So get in touch. But for now, settle down into that comfy armchair or commute or kitchen or trail run or wherever you happen to be listening right now and get ready because we are about to visit two of the world's most dangerous countries. And guess what? You're going to be very, very surprised by what you find. It was my junior year that I studied abroad in Prague, Czech Republic, and that was a game changer for me. It's what opened up my eyes and ears to the world and new cultures and new foods and new experiences. And um, went back to Wisconsin as a changed person, graduated, and didn't want to take a corporate route, so I decided to teach English in South Korea because I wanted to keep traveling, and I saw that as a great way to get paid to essentially travel. Um, and it was my first time in Asia. Spent 18 months in Korea, became conversational Korean language, got a black belt in Taekwondo, partied a lot in Seoul because it's a very electric and energetic city, and started a blog on day one in Korea and, and just kind of worked really hard on the blog. And that grew into a full-time job when I left Korea in uh, March 2015 and was traveling around the world, full-time blogging, making about a thousand bucks a month, which was just enough to cover some expenses. And then I picked up a video camera in January 2017 because my girlfriend bought me one and she's like, hey, you should start making videos. So I did. I went to North Korea at that time. That video had 10 million views. Then I decided to do videos every day. And here we are about a thousand videos later. 1.4 1.4 billion video views and about 6 million followers on social media. Great origin story, right? From teaching English in South Korea and starting a blog like 10 million other people do, to in the space of a few years becoming one of the biggest travel videographers on the planet, getting paid to go and explore every single country in the world, including, by the way, he just kind of slipped that one in there, North Korea, which we can definitely add to our list of most dangerous countries. He doesn't talk about it in this interview, but he's done some cool videos about it, which I'll link to on the webpage, including one about running in the Pyongyang Marathon, which is nuts. Who knew they did a marathon and who knew it was possible to enter? The next one, by the way, is April 2021. So get training if you want to up your access of evil long distance running game. But it was around that time, too, that he started getting serious about seeing every single country in the world. Now, just a heads up, there's a whole club of people that do this. The fastest was done in just over 18 months, which is basically like spending two days in every single country. The youngest was only 21. But for Drew, it doesn't really matter how quickly you do it. It matters how deeply you do it. I don't see it as such a a contest or or a big finish line. I mean, if I did, I would have finished two years ago because I could have gone way faster. Um, But I just... I just love traveling and the more you travel, the more addicted you get. And the more you go to faraway places that no one's ever heard of, the more addicted you are to going back to faraway places that nobody's ever heard of. And then connecting with the people and the culture and breaking stereotypes and all that that comes along with it. So yeah, it just, travel became my drug, a very addictive one. It is a very addictive drug, but I can also really relate to what Drew is saying in terms of upping the ante, wanting to see more and more out-of-the-way places, wanting to push that envelope of adventure and exploration a little further each time. And that's because the more that you travel, the more you realize the world is a much friendlier, safer, and welcoming place than you have been led to believe. And that's what this story is all about. There is more that unites us than divides us. People 
are just people, no matter where they are or what they look like. Even if they happen to live in the world's most dangerous countries. And that is where we are about to go to. First up, the evil empire, America's mortal enemy, Iran. But guess what? It's not at all what you... Iran is, is a wonderful country. It's always in my top five. Anytime says, someone says, what's your top five countries? Iran is in there. Just for the hospitality alone. I've never met kinder, friendlier people ever, ever in the whole world. I mean, it, it blows you away when they will invite you in their house and for, for tea or even offer you a bed to sleep in and the smiles on their faces. And um, it's, I think Iran is the most mis, misconceived country in the world. Um, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's very safe. It's extremely safe. There's no war happening on the street. You're not, you know, you know worrying about someone kidnapping you or, you know, a bomb hitting or someone shooting you. That is not at all in Iran at all. It's interesting, isn't it? What we see more often than not in the media is burning flags. But for many travelers, the reality is totally different. The Lonely Planet calls Iran the jewel in Islam's crown and, quote, what could be the friendliest country on earth. That's pretty different to the Iran that we get portrayed most of the time. And there's just a huge amount of stuff to see and do, too. Incredible history and culture, amazing arts. There's desert oasises and bustling modern cities. There's even beach resorts. And believe it or not, there is skiing, too. Yes, you can tread turns in the axis of evil. But there are complications, of course. You're expected to follow local customs. There's no alcohol. Well, almost no alcohol, as we'll see. And women do have to dress in a way that is appropriate for that very conservative culture. So bear all that in mind. You also have to have a guide with you. You cannot travel independently to Iran, at least if you're British or American. Drew usually does do things on his own or with a local friend. But in this instance, the only way that he could go to the country was to travel on an organized tour. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to follow that trip, a whirlwind snapshot of the real Iran. The Iran we don't see or hear about. The Iran behind the news. Drew picks up the story having just travelled about 400 miles south of the capital Tehran to the small desert town of Yazd, which has a really unique religion and, bizarrely, something in common with Freddie Mercury too. It's the birthplace of Zoroastrian religion. Um, it's out in the desert and it's a very, very humble town. Everybody had these like traditional outfits on that I've never seen anywhere outside of, of Yazd. It was a very, very interesting um, way that they were dressing themselves. But markets are full of people, lots of colors everywhere, um, smiling faces. And a fire that has burned continuously for more than 1,500 years. For real. In the town, there's a fire temple, it's called, that has housed a flame which has burned non-stop for one and a half millennia. Think about that. This fire, which is still burning right now as you're listening to this, was lit around 470 AD. That's the time that the Roman Empire was being sacked by the Goths. That's the time when the Dark Ages of Europe were just beginning. And through it all, through all those centuries, all those wars and religious battles and scientific discoveries and generation after generation, this humble little fire contained in a small bronze vessel has burned uninterrupted. Imagine the pressure of being the guy that has to tend that fire. Imagine if you fell asleep on the job. Imagine if you're the one who lets it go out. 
But this is also, funnily enough, where Freddie Mercury comes into it, because that fire, and in fact the whole town, revolves around the Zoroastrian religion, of which the legendary Queen frontman was a part of. He was descended, of course, from the Parsis of India, who still practice a form of that religion today. And it's really a beautiful religion, one of the oldest in the world. And that's also, by the way, where those outfits that Drew mentions come from. They're unique to Iran in the Middle East. They're very colorful, but also very, very religious and conservative at the same time. Um, and they only, only exist here. But at the heart of the religion are these sacred fires, these fire temples, as they're called, which house these eternal flames like the one burning in Yaz. And there is something just so profound and poetic and beautiful about that imagery. No fancy ornate carvings, no gold or silver, just a small, humble fire. The essence of creation and destruction in one, burning for centuries. And yet, for a breath of wind, it could be gone. This episode of Armchair Explorer is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. And Pathfinder, that's a pretty cool name, isn't it? Because that's also what this show is all about. Exploring, getting off trail, having adventures, finding your own path and living life to the fullest. Sound like you? Yep, sounds like me too. Which is why I'm so excited to partner with Nissan. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has seven drive modes, available intelligent 4x4. It's got the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So go ahead and bring all that gear with you and lots more. The 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, a vehicle built for adventures everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Next up, we're going to leave Yaz and we're going to travel to Drew's favorite city in the whole trip, Esfahan. Oh man, that city is full of life. So it has the second biggest city square in the world behind Tiananmen Square in Beijing. And it's it's full of like decorated buildings, horses and carriages, really old mosques. Islam was spread in the seventh century. And I believe these mosques that I'm talking about were made in the 10th and 11th century. So they're really old, thousand year, year old. Um, and, and it's just cool because inside of that square, you have all, it's like a big park and you have all of these kids and families and having a picnic and running around playing games. It's just like, it's just like the happiest place I can think of right now. I mean, I'm talking about thousands of people um, enjoying the weather. We were there with during Ramadan in May, and it didn't even matter that nobody was eating. They were, they were just enjoying life. The Imam Square is immense. It's roughly 2,000 feet long and 500 feet wide. It's about 100 times larger than Times Square in New York City. And all of it is surrounded by these beautifully decorated historic buildings and gardens. Drew does a really cool video about it. I'll put it up on the website for you to check out. Um, But there's also these incredible mosques there and some of the most ornate and beautiful in the entire Islamic world. And if you've never seen Islamic art before, the intricacy and craftsmanship will just completely blow you away as it did for Drew. It's all made through these tiles. I mean, like 
hundreds of thousands of little tiles that are that are made and like they draw all the circles and everything to make it look perfect and then they they put it together like a big puzzle piece honestly i don't like if somebody made that today i think they'd be out of their mind i think i think they would never finish i don't know how many people it took to finish that thing thousand years ago but it is just so beautiful it took 16 years and thousands of artists and craftsmen. Every facade and wall inside is covered completely in these blue and turquoise and yellow and white tiles, hand-painted with calligraphy and inscriptions, patterns like stars everywhere. And Islamic art is one of the most breathtaking and beautiful and unique forms of art in the world, and it's so colorful and so all-consuming, it immerses you in it in such a delicate and intricate way, but also in a way that just feels like it's alive and blossoming. And it's good to remember that. It's good to have that in your mind because Iran is sometimes called an evil country. I don't really believe in good and evil anyway. I think it's too simplistic, of course. But uh, but if you do and you also believe uh, what they're telling you on the news, take a look at those mosques of Esteban. Take a look at that art inside because nothing that is purely evil, could create something that is so purely beautiful too. So after Estevan, they had lots of adventures. They stayed in this very cool 16th century caravanserai, one of the original caravan stopping points along the Silk Road, which of course passed directly through this area, watching stars in the desert appear at night, just like those Silk Road merchants did hundreds and thousands of years ago. They also visited the ruins at Persepolis, one of the most spectacular sites of the ancient world, every bit as magnificent as those left behind in Greece or Rome or Egypt. And then they ended up in the city of Shiraz at the end of their trip, where Drew, let's just say, got a little bit more than he was bargaining for or expecting. Inside of the city of Shiraz, it's the most liberal and open-minded city in Iran. They have these like bar, like shisha bars where you like go out and it feels like you're at like a like a trendy bar in LA like you know like drinking a cocktail but there's just no cocktail. I never thought I'd hear the words Iran and trendy LA cocktail bar in the same breath. But in fact, and this is kind of a secret, that's not strictly true that there were no cocktails. He did find a cocktail. In fact, he found an entire underground party, an illegal underground booze-fueled party in the middle of the city. He was invited and he went along. Think of it like the Iranian version of a Prohibition-era shindig, but with better dancing. It was like I entered like a new world. It was like a... like. I don't know how many bottles of vodka they had. I don't know where they got the vodka, but obviously there's a black market for it. Um, and people were just going crazy and dancing. And, you know, they do that dance with like, they like bend their wrists. And I don't know, it's a Persian way that they Persian dance. <laughs> I can't really explain it. But um, it was it was just awesome. And Shiraz is also famous for its wineries. So before 1979, you know, it was legal to drink in Iran before the revolution. So they have these really famous wineries in Shiraz, but apparent word on the street is you have to know someone to, to get a bottle, which I wasn't able to get. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just cool to see the contrast between a city like Yaz, that really religious city where everybody's covered up, and then you go down to Shiraz where they're blasting music and dancing, you know, in, in, in the coffee shops and stuff. So it's just, uh, it was just really cool. That's the point, isn't it? We only get one side of the story. I never would have thought that underground Iranian drinking parties were a thing. But of course they are. That's what we did here when Prohibition happened. That's what we would do. 
people are just people all over the world. Islamophobia is a thing. I mean, specifically in America, I and mean, people are scared of Muslims. I'll be honest with you. I, I grew up going to Hebrew school. I got a bar mitzvah. And I vividly remember my teachers telling me that Muslims are, are, are not good people. I remember them. It's unfortunate that there's two billion Muslims in the world, two billion Muslims. And the actions of a few you know dozen people have caused everybody to think negatively of the religion. So I think it's the most hospitable religion. I think it has the most treasures. I think it, it's the most authentic and, and it's the most enjoyable for me. And the hospitality is second to none all over the Middle East. So when people hear Middle East, they just think, oh, Muslim, um, terrorist attacks, ISIS. I like to go there and kind of break the stereotypes and show people that there's a, amazing experiences happening and amazing people to meet and, and a great life happening. It's, it's not at all what you think it is. Not at all. Islamophobia is a thing, sadly, but like most phobias, they go away once you confront that fear. Scared of spiders? Pick up a spider. Scared of heights? Go skydiving. Scared every Muslim is a terrorist? Go visit Iran. You'll have an amazing time. You might just find an underground party and you will come back a changed person. But Iran's one thing, right? Going to a war zone, that's different. Well, Drew's been to a few in his quest to visit every single country in the world, including Yemen, where he ate goat's brains. Yup, for real. It's a delicacy and apparently rather mushy. Uh, he had an AK-47 pointed at him, but then he was also invited to a wedding where he spent the day dancing with local families in the middle of Al-Qaeda territory. He's been to Libya, Lebanon, Syria, which he describes as amazing, by the way, one of the most incredible countries he's ever visited. He's even been to Somalia, where he was accompanied by an armed guard for the entire time. Four guys with machine guns actually had to get out and surround his car and secure the area before he could even open the door. But even there, even in Mogadishu, one of the most dangerous and poverty-violence-stricken cities on the planet, even there, he found people playing football on the beach. He found amazing food. They eat a banana with every meal, but he didn't know that. And just people wanting to find love, wanting to find fun, wanting to look after their kids, wanting to say hello. Everywhere you go, people are just people. But now, Afghanistan, right? That's going to be a little different. What? would be going through your head as you're about to board a plane to the biggest war zone in our lifetimes and almost certainly the most dangerous country in the world. What would you be thinking? I was a bit nervous. I do all these travels on my own. Um, I try not to look at the news. I don't Google, you know, U.S. Uh, border security and flag stage five warning. Do not go to Afghanistan. I don't look at all that stuff. Which is lucky because here's what it says. Travel to all areas of Afghanistan is unsafe because of critical levels of kidnappings, hostage-taking, suicide bombings, widespread military combat operations, landmines, and terrorist and insurgent attacks, including attacks using vehicle-borne, magnetic, or other improvised explosive devices, suicide vests, and grenades. Not exactly your typical tourist visa stuff. And then it goes on to say, by the way, if you do decide to travel to Afghanistan, draft a will. That's it. Imagine being in the airport, being Drew, just about to get on that plane to take off to Kabul, and all the time this is spinning around your head. And this time, he wasn't going on a guided tour. Of course, there are no tour operators offering jollies in Afghanistan. So he needed to find another way in. And Drew's way in, no matter where he's traveling, and this is really great advice for all of us, his way in 
is trust. I pretty much rely 100% on my local friends. I trust them. I trust their kindness. I trust that they will take me around and show me a good time. I was just traveling there with my, my local friend. His name is Newer. Just me and him. We were driving in a beaten down Toyota Corolla around the country because we didn't want to draw any attention. We started in Mazar Sharif, which is in the north. And we drove around the whole northern part, and then we drove down to Kabul, which is like 11 hours. So, I mean, I got to see a lot. He did. He was there for eight days. He drove from Mazar Sharif, the fourth largest city in the country, 250 miles south to Kabul, the capital, across mountains and deserts, going to little restaurants off the street, visiting markets and historical sites, meeting people along the way, shaking hands. You can watch his videos of it, and it's really amazing. He's dressed in the traditional dress of the country, and... And he kind of fits in, you know, and, it, and people come up to the street and shake his hand and it just seems like normal life, people just living life. But one of the things that stood out for him uh, through the course of that journey was the fact that being there felt like going back in time. And that's not necessarily always a bad thing. Afghanistan is literally, the best way I would explain it is like, if you went back 200 years, 200 years um, to the 1800s, I, I feel like you wouldn't see a difference on the streets today. I mean, you will see not a single modern brand, not a single design on a clothing. It's, and it's great. I mean, you don't, it, it's so nice to not see any McDonald's or Starbucks or, or any, any, kind of, any kind of logo, Coca-Cola. You don't see any of that. It's all just locally small-owned companies. I guess the only difference from 200 years ago would be the cars. That's the only thing... Um, I can think of most, I don't see anyone on their phones. I think they have small little flip phones, but they hardly ever use them. You know, you go to a restaurant and they're sitting there eating with their hands and just enjoying each other's presence. And the food is fantastic in Afghanistan, by the way. Um, it's just cool. You just feel like, you just feel like you're just there and, and how life should be lived away from any kind of materialistic goods. And that's got to be refreshing, hasn't it? No logos, no corporations, no advertising, no McDonald's or Coca-Cola or KFC or Starbucks. There aren't many places like that left in the world. I'm not trying to idolize this. I'm not saying that their life is better or easy in any way. Of course it's not. But just this part of it, just this lack of consumerism must be good and refreshing. It made me think that maybe we should all experience something like that at least once just to see the alternative to the world that we live in to the way that we live just to see the world before big business took over the world without ads so he had all sorts of adventures including getting stopped at a checkpoint which he describes as one of the scariest things he's ever gone through um but luckily his local buddy talked him out of it he was held there for a couple of hours um but he got out of it Thanks again to that trust, to that local friend. Uh, he also uh, looked up and found the last remaining Jewish person in Kabul, which uh, it was a really incredible story. Brave guy, amazing story, great video. And then towards the end of the trip, when they were driving in really in the middle of nowhere in a very rural part of, of Afghanistan, they saw a hitchhiker on the side of the road and stopped and picked him up. And it turned into the most amazing experience of the whole trip and really what this story this episode is all about we were just driving around in a little rural area in the north and there was a guy on the street very friendly guy picked, picked us up and we took him to his little village it was about a 20 minute drive and he invited us in of course uh for some tea and 
and snacks, and uh, it was wonderful. I was with his house, hanging out with his kids and his family, and um, you know, with his dogs, and and the, he brought out all these treats. Um, in Afghanistan, they have you would never expect it. They have the most amazing fruits and vegetables, like um, I've I, in my whole life. So he had this apricot tree in his house. So he just picked the best apricots I've tasted in my entire life, um, and plums, apricots and plums. And I guess I was there for the season. And we just had a little picnic and put a little blanket on the floor and everybody kind of sits on the floor and eats with their hands in Afghanistan and in that part of the world. So it was just an awesome afternoon. I mean, I had a, my friend was there so I could speak to them and ask them any questions I wanted. And they were just so kind. They had never received a visitor before. Wait, now that's that's kind of amazing, right? It was the first time they had ever received a visitor. They had never had a visitor in their home before. This is a 50-year-old man. You can imagine the response from his wife though, right? First visitor you bring here and it's a bloody American. Actually, it was the opposite. He was welcomed with open arms. People all around the world really know the difference between a government and, and the citizens of, of a country. So they know that I'm not um, in the military and they know that I'm just a person and they know that the US has almost 400 million people. So I did not have any kind of prejudice or, or negative um, connotations. I didn't feel anything negative when they were speaking to me or I never had a comment like, oh, you're American, you know, you're not welcome here. Not at all. They, a lot of times they didn't even mention um, about the war. They just kind of, oh, they're like, oh, cool, you're American and you're a traveler. Obviously they can look at me and see that I'm just a regular person. I'm just a traveler. So it's not like everybody's scared of these things, but it's not like you just, you're just a person, you know, you're another person and they want to get to know you. I hope we could do the same. I hope we could welcome someone into our home without prejudice and preconception, as they did. Because that is what real traveling is all about. That is true adventure. I live for those kind of moments. Those, those are those are my favorite. You know, you could go to the Taj Mahal, you could go to Machu Picchu, you could go to the Great Wall of China. Those are amazing, of course. But like sitting in an Afghani village with a local guy that you just picked up on the side of the road, I mean, nothing can... And I think the reason is because I'm the only person who's ever done that. And, and I just really cherish it. And so you should, mate. Those are the moments that matter. Those are the moments that stay with you. And those are the moments that change the world. One meal, one handshake, one hitchhiker at a time. So I wondered, what did that teach him? What did he learn from visiting the world's most so-called dangerous countries? And this is what he said. The world is a lot safer than the news makes it out to be. Um... I mean, I can't stress that enough. I'm not denying that there aren't terrorist attacks, there aren't kidnappings, killings, murders. That stuff happens, but there's a lot more positivity in the world. It's fear. Fear holds us all back. And once you go and, and, and you meet locals and you just you go to the markets and you see that there are kids going to school and people playing tennis in the park and, and people enjoying the outdoors, then it's, it's fine. It's all about perspective, right? And if, if you go into a place really scared for your life and you don't want to go outside, then probably not going to have a good time. But if you're a little bit more open-minded and you're willing to go speak to some people and what you bring to a place is what you get out of it. What you bring to a place is what you get out of it. And that's true in so many ways. When we're fearful, we see the world as a dangerous place. When we're angry, it's filled with insults and unfairness. When we trust, when we let go of that fear, that doesn't mean letting go of our common sense. There are dangerous places everywhere. Bad things can happen. Don't just walk down that dark alley to prove something, for goodness sake. I mean letting go of our prejudice, our preconceptions. I mean letting go of the assumption that people 
are bad and unkind and out to do us wrong. When we let go of that, we start to see the world brighten. We see friends and we see allies. We see people everywhere just like us. Thank you, Drew. Thank you so much for taking us with you to explore some of the world's most misunderstood countries. Thank you for showing us the real Iran, the real Afghanistan, beyond the stereotypes. If you want to connect with Drew, check out his videos on YouTube. He's also on Facebook and Instagram and all the rest, at Drew Binksky. That is D-R-E-W-B-I-N-S-K-Y. Hit him up, let him know what you think of this show, and please also keep your eyes peeled for that documentary, Border 197, which is going to be a really fascinating, in-depth look at the world through the eyes of someone who's seen it all and wants to tear down those walls. I'm excited to watch it, and I hope you are too. If this trip has inspired you to visit Iran, I know it has for me, I've put a link up uh, for the trip that Drew did uh, on the website, and you can book that through the website too. It's with one of my favorite tour operators, Intrepid. Um, I really vouch for them. I think they're great. And if you are interested, please book that through clicking the link on the armchair-explorer.com so that we can get a small benefit out of that too. Um, Finally... As always, just a huge thank you to you guys. Keep exploring, keep looking for that wonder, because the more you look for wonder in the world, the more the wonder of the world becomes a part of who you are. Dare to be truly alive.